0: So what are you guys doing for Christmas? I got the entire family flying in. Thirteen airport pickups. Four days of listening to how gifted my nieces are. My brother thinks his daughter, the uh, four-year-old, is going to be the next Uh, Beyoncé. She's bad, and she sucks. I'm vacationing in tropical Albany this year with Trisha's family they got us a cot which is awesome but we'll probably end up sleeping on the musty couch in the basement with the cats all seven of them oh and we get to be there the whole week kind of sounds like a prison sentence why do you guys put yourselves through that it's christmas right don't you have to we don't need to do it anymore and 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 we don't we absolutely don't do it anymore we're done why what are you doing we're going to fiji yeah just the two of us fiji Yeah. Don't your families get upset? Not if you tell them you're doing charity work. You lie to your families at Christmas time. I mean, you really can't smell families without lies. Try it. But don't you ever feel guilty? For taking a vacation on our vacation? <laughs> nah, not really. Making your way in the world today takes everything you've got, taking a break from all your worries. Sure would help a lot Wouldn't you like to get away? Sometimes you wanna go Where everybody knows your name And they're always glad you came You wanna be where you can see Our troubles are all the same You wanna be where everybody knows your name Hi everybody, this is Ed Hoffman, and welcome to the main event. I opened up with that clip from uh, Four Christmases. No, hey, we're uh, we're going to we're going to we're taking a vacation on our vacation, Christmas in Fiji. Well, I use that because number one, it's Christmas time, and I like to use the Christmas movies uh, to open up in in December. And the other reason is because uh, one day after I uh, record this show. Uh, Don and I are on a plane. We're going to Florida, and we're getting on a cruise ship, and we're gonna spend ten days in the Southern Caribbean. So we're, uh, we'll be on vacation, enjoying life, and uh, you will have uh, another guy behind the mic next week on the main event. I promise you'll be happy. So, uh, and that uh, that song was the theme from Cheers, uh, as a uh, as a tribute to uh, Kirstie Alley, who we lost uh this week uh died of uh of colon cancer um age seventy one. Way too young, way too young. And I suspect I suspect they said that uh that uh she really just discovered it and two months later she was gone. I suspect that's because it's probably had symptoms that were embarrassing and she didn't want to go to the doctor and uh and then when it got to be uh to where you couldn't ignore it anymore, uh it was too late. Um, so for those of you that don't ha- don't do your uh, your screenings uh, for colon cancer, uh, don't be the next Kirstie Alley. And I'm kind of tired of doing tributes for people who die too young uh, every week. Well, it's not every week, but it's a lot of weeks, and uh, it's just sad. But hey, you know Kirstie Alley, the the Cheers and all the movies she did was uh, part of our part of our, our culture in. Uh, Again, we'll remember her through the uh, through the Cheers repeats on uh, Movie Land, and we'll uh, and the movies that she did, and uh, we will miss Kirstie Alley. So anyway, I'm going to talk about everything that's going on this week, and there's a lot going on this week, and some of it has actually been going on not just this week for the past couple of weeks, and uh, since I was doing uh, uh, the interview with Shrek. Um, I was kind of behind on some of the stuff, but I I have a couple I have some things that I w- wanted to talk about, but I had to but I uh, I wanted you to hear the interview with uh, with Byron Sullivan, and uh, so I'm gonna kind of catch up on some of that stuff. So, but before I do, let me introduce myself. My name is Ed Hoffman with United American Mortgage. If you're ready to get involved in any of the fantastic opportunities that are real estate and you need financing, call me at 951-252-2027. That's 951-252-2027. One last time, 951-252-2027 and follow the prompts. Um, So while I'm on vacation, it'll route you to my teammates. And we'll uh, we'll help you out on that, whether it's to uh, refinance a piece of property that you own or to purchase a piece of property you'd like to own. And whether that's in California or any other state, um, we will take care of you. Or if it's uh, you want to find out the the straight scoop on that reverse mortgage thing that everybody's talking about. If you're over 62 or your spouse is over 62, call me at 951-252-2027. If you don't want to talk on the phone just yet. Go to edhoffman.net, e-d-h-o-f-f-m-a-n.net. Click on the United American Mortgage logo and fill out the uh, fill out the uh, contact form there and tell me how much information you want back. Fill it out as as uh, as completely or incompletely as you want, um, and you'll hear back from 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 myself or one of my talented teammates while I'm floating around the Caribbean. Um, if there's part of the show you want repeated, stay on edhoffman.net. Click on the podcast page. And you can listen on demand. You can also get the uh, the podcast on SoundCloud or iTunes, Apple Podcast, where you can subscribe for free and have it download to your device once a week. I record normally on Friday mornings, and we upload it on Friday afternoon, and it downloads to your your phone or your computer or your iPod or your iPad or your mini pad, your maxi pad, whatever you listen to uh, uh, podcasts on, and you can listen on demand at any time. You can't always if you can't always hear the show on the on the radio the easiest way is to hear it whenever you want and I made it possible. So let's talk about The Twitter Files. It's been one week since Elon Musk teamed up with the author with author and former Rolling Stone journalist Matt Taibbi on a project known as The Twitter Files. This was a look inside all the internal deliberations that took place at Twitter in 2020 when the platform decided to block access to the New York Post story on Hunter Biden, which, as every listener of this show knows, is actually a story about Joe Biden. And if it was properly covered, it may have taken votes away from him in the final days before the election. And of course, whether it took votes away or not, we don't believe that Joe Biden was really elected. We know We've watched 2,000 mules. We've watched all the, uh, the all the uh, data from the uh, audits of the elections in several states, and it's clear this free and fair election in 2020 wasn't free or fair, and it was manipulated with all the mail-in votes and all the software stuff that was done, and the uh, keeping out of the poll watchers, all that stuff. We believe that, and. Anybody who says they don't just is just in la-la land. Um, There's no way Joe Biden at piece sprig of broccoli got 84 million votes. So, the files paint an ugly portrait of Twitter's management making the decision that it was their duty to keep legitimate news away from the public instead of letting people see the reporting and draw their own conclusions. On Tuesday, Musk fired Twitter general counsel... James Baker, who was at one time general counsel in in, uh, Jim Comey's FBI. Musk exited Baker from Twitter this week after suspecting that he was part of the suppression. Apparently, Musk found that he had been uh, deleting internal files before they could be reviewed by Matt Taibbi and made public. Taibbi laid out the story in a series of 36 tweets, which he numbered so users could easily follow the thread. Let's read the ones that contain the biggest revelations. First, here's Taibbi's intro. Tweet number one. The Twitter files. Tweet number two. What you're about to read is the first installment in a series based upon thousands of internal documents obtained by sources at Twitter. Meaning Elon Musk. Tweet number three. The Twitter files tell an incredible story from inside the world's largest and most influential social media platform. It is a Frankensteinian tale of human built mechanism grown out of the control of the designer, meaning uh, it was that Twitter had become so big that they were able to, to, uh, to pull this off without the knowledge of then CEO Jack Dorsey. The next few tweets explain how Twitter was a fair marketplace of ideas. In its early years, and even when the platform started cracking down on users' content, it was usually for a good reason. In tweet number six, Matt Taibbi says, Some of the first tools for controlling speech were designed to combat the likes of spam and financial fraudsters. And of course, if you've uh, read my book or if you've heard me talk about what uh, Alan Greenspan said um, when asked when asked about uh, how we protect protect ourselves from another uh, financial meltdown in two, uh, like the 2008 meltdown. Um, he said, hey, fraud and corruption are part are are a byproduct of our freedoms. So Twitter. So in other words, we have a free society. And as long as it's free, there's going to be some people that take advantage of some of those things. So as Twitter became a way to to uh, to get everybody's thoughts and ideas out there, there were there's always people that are gonna come out and and uh, use it to uh, to create fraud and and the people that are gonna create spam and of course financial frauds there's people trying to uh, take advantage of people's naivete and get them to uh, get them to give give them access to our money uh, wait till the second half we'll talk about one of those then things start taking a turn as the platform figures out that they can use their censorship tools in other ways, and they start getting political pressure to do it. Tweet number seven from Matt Taibbi. Slowly over time, the Twitter staff and executives begin, began to find more and more uses for these tools. Outsiders begin petitioning the company to manipulate speech as well. First a little, then more, then constantly. Fast forward to 2020 when Twitter starts regularly accommodating back-channeled political censorship requests from Democrats and the Biden campaign. Tweet number eight. By 2020, requests from connected actors to delete tweets were routine. One executive would write to another. More to review from the Biden team. Then the reply would come back, handled. And he showed a picture of a a tweet, and it shows uh, the URLs for five different Twitter uh, posts. And this was on Saturday, October 24th, at 8.28 p.m. Um, Saturday, October 24th, 2020. So remember, that's three weeks before Election Day. Now, supposedly, Republicans in the Trump White House could also make these kinds of requests throughout 2020. And sometimes Twitter would actually honor them. But in tweet number 11, Taibbi says, This system wasn't balanced. It was based on context. Because Twitter was overwhelmingly staffed by people of one political orientation, there were more channels and more ways to complain open to the left, Democrats, than to the right. Taibbi then embedded an image of political donations from Twitter employees. The donations are available as public information on OpenSecrets.org, and the and the the chart he shows is contributions by party of recipient, and it and it shows the the contributions from people who work at Twitter, you notice when you do a uh, when you do a uh, a political donation, they ask for your name and your address and your employer. So these things are all required when you make political donations. So they can be tracked for one reason or another. So it shows 2022 cycle. Um, people that worked at Twitter, one hundred and eighty five thousand two hundred and sixty seven dollars. 99 and 3 quarters percent of them went to Democrats. The previous election, 2020, $968,749 donated by employees of Twitter, 98.5% to the Democrats. So 2020 was a big deal. They, you know, they donated all, almost a million dollars. 2018, the midterms before that, 309,394, 96.38%. To the Democrats. That brings us to tweets 16 and 17, which are, number 16, the Twitter files, part one, how and why Twitter blocked the Hunter Biden laptop story. Tweet number 17. On October 14, 2020, the New York Post published Biden's secret emails as an expose based on the contents of Hunter Biden's abandoned laptop. And there's a picture of the, uh, of the New York Post front page picture of Hunter and Joe Biden. The bombshell comes in tweet number 18. The first reason Twitter came up with to suppress a story and it's a doozy. <laughs> Watch out for that first step. It's a doozy. <laughs> so in the doozy tweet, Matt Taibbi says, Twitter took extraordinary steps to suppress the story, removing links and posting warnings that it may be, quote-unquote, unsafe. They even blocked its transmission via direct message, a tool hitherto reserved for extreme cases, in other words, child pornography. What I don't understand is what part of the story where Hunter Biden gave Chinese businessman access to his vice president father constitutes child pornography? I don't know, I don't know, this just doesn't make any sense to me and apparently doesn't make any sense to Matt Taibbi either and doesn't make sense to most anybody with logically thinking brains. Then the same day the story is banned, October 14, 2020, this happened. Tweet number 19. White House spokesman Kaylee McEnany was locked out of her account for tweeting about the story, prompting a furious letter from Trump campaign staffer Mike Hahn who seethed, at least pretend to care for the next 20 days. Then it's a post of the copy of the actual email Mike Hahn said to, uh, sent to one, two, uh, two people in one uh, one uh, department of, at Twitter. Kaylee McEnany, at Kaylee McEnany, has been locked out of her account for simply talking about the New York Post story. All she did was cite the story and firsthand reporting that has been reported by other, other outlets and not disputed by the Biden campaign. I need an answer immediately on when and how she will be unlocked. I also don't appreciate that nobody on the team called me regarding that news that you'll be censoring news articles. Like I said, at least pretend to care for the next 20 days. The next day, Twitter public policy executive Carolyn Strom manages to do her job and ask ask her team why all this is happening. And there's an email. Uh, Hi team, are you able to take a closer look here? Thank you. An employee replies to her this time with a new reason that the laptop story is being suppressed. It's not child pornography anymore. Now it's the product of Russian hacking. Tweet 21. Strom's note returned the answer that the laptop story had been removed for violation of the company's hacked materials policy. How do they know? How do they know anything was hacked, any of this stuff was hacked? Taibbi's next few tweets outline how Twitter employees had no evidence that the story came from Russia or any other foreign source, and yet they scrambled to cover it up without consulting or informing their boss, then-CEO Jack Dorsey, tweets 22 through 24. Number 22, although several sources recalled hearing about a general warning from federal law enforcement that summer about possible foreign hacks. Remember what uh, Zuckerman said that the FBI had called Facebook? So they're saying, hey, they had heard a general warning from federal law enforcement that summer about possible foreign hacks. There's no evidence that I've seen of any government involvement in the laptop story. In fact, that might have been the problem. Tweet 23. The decision was made at the highest levels of the company, but without the knowledge of CEO Jack Dorsey. Tweet 24, they just freelanced it, is how one former employee characterized the decision. Hacking was the excuse, but within a few hours, pretty much everyone realized that wasn't going to hold, but no one had the guts to reverse it. We then see an email between three more Twitter employees discussing the decision with one of them saying, I'm struggling to understand the policy basis for marking this as unsafe. We'll face hard questions if we don't have some kind of solid reasoning for it, marking the link unsafe. Eventually, a total of seven Twitter managers enter the chat to talk about how they can explain away their decision to ban the story from the platform. As we all know, Jack Dorsey eventually found out what was going on and reversed the ban on the story about two weeks later. Taibbi tweeted, this is not one of the number ones. An amazing subplot of Twitter Hunter Biden laptop affair was how much was done without the knowledge of CEO Jack Dorsey and how long it took for the situation to get undone, although he didn't say undone. He said un-something else that uh, I can't say on the radio, but it starts with an F. Un. So as we all know, Jack Dorsey eventually found out what was going on and reversed the ban on the story two weeks later. Taibbi tweeted, An amazing subplot on the Twitter Hunter Biden laptop affair was how much was done without the knowledge of CEO Jack Dorsey and how long it took for the situation to get undone. Now, it didn't actually say undone. The actual employee put uh, one employee put it un another word that I can't say on the radio, but it was un starts with an F ending with an F with an E D even after Dorsey jumped in. By March 2021, Dorsey took the fall for the whole thing when testifying before Congress, even though his employees did it all behind his back. Hey, took one for the team. Great job there, Jack. Uh, Tweet number 36, Taibbi's final Twitter files tweet, explains that the research firm NetChoice emailed Twitter after they polled nine Republicans and three Democrats about the laptop story on October 14th. So So the NetChoice called nine Republican representatives and three Democrats about the lap story to get their opinion. They said the three Democrats they polled shared these chilling thoughts. Quote, Social media needs to moderate more because they're corrupting democracy and making all truth relative. When pushed on how the government might insist on that while still being consistent with the First Amendment, they said, Get ready for it. The First Amendment is not absolute. What, really? Can you believe? Wait, the First Amendment is not absolute. The Founding Fathers wrote all this stuff to make sure that the government didn't in- didn't uh, get involved in in uh, the truth getting out with the press, with people saying what they want to say, any of that stuff. And now some three Republican uh, three Republican Congress people or senators decided to say, "Hey, the First Amendment is not absolute." How do you know? What is your basis for coming to that conclusion? Are you a Supreme Court justice? And as we learned earlier, Twitter employees responded by blocking the story and locking the White House press secretary out of her Twitter account that very day. And let's not forget, this was three weeks before Election Day, which is why new Twitter owner Elon Musk says there's only one thing we can call this. Clearly, if if Twitter is doing one team's bidding before an election, Shutting down dissenting voices um, on a pivotal election, that is the very definition of election interference. I and mean, what the hell else would you, of course, it's like, yes. Yeah, what else would you call it, election interference? Musk is teasing now on Wednesday morning this week. He's teasing that there are more Twitter file revelations to come. And Jack Dorsey, the former CEO of Twitter, tweeted that he should release all of them right now. Meanwhile, the White House says this story is not even worth anyone's time. In fact, Kareem Jean-Pierre decided to spin it as an entirely different story. Twitter was so haphazardly pushed this distraction uh, that is is full of uh, old news, if you think about it. Um, And uh, at the same time, Twitter is facing very real and very serious questions uh, about the rising volume of anger, hate, and anti-Semitism on their platform, and uh, how they're letting it happen. And, uh, you know, the president said last week, more leaders need to speak out and reject this. Yeah, that's a, that's, that's a good position to take. So, hey, this is old news. Yeah, but it's pretty significant because your boss wouldn't have his job if, if they didn't cover up this old news. But it was news. It wasn't, it wasn't disinformation, wasn't foreign disinformation, wasn't any of that stuff. This is old news, they're bringing it back up. and meanwhile Twitter is being is being criticized for the for the uh, the hate speech that's on there. You know what? Twitter is being criticized by the people who don't want the truth to come out. That doesn't mean that that uh, hey, this hate speech is not hate speech. People are reacting to the truth. They're reacting to the to the fact that Twitter and Facebook were involved in covering this stuff up. And the Democrats put put him up to it. And Comey's FBI put him up to it. I wonder why everybody's so up in arms about Trump running for president again. I wonder why all this stuff is going on uh, against Trump. Because Trump's not one of them and he can't be bought. The reason we should be putting him back in the White House. But they're so concerned that he's not one of them and he's going to expose all the dirt he's exposed and more by if he gets back in the White House. We're going to talk about that more in the second half. Hey, I'm all out of time for this half of the main event, so stay tuned for five minutes traffic, weather, sports, and commercials, and I'll be right back with lots more. Be glad there's one place in the world Knows your name. And welcome back to part two of the main event. My name is Ed Hoffman with United American Mortgage. I don't talk a lot about real estate and financing on the radio because it's only an hour-long show, and uh, those of you that aren't in the market might not be uh, might not be entertained by it. Uh, but if you uh, if you're in the market, or you think you might be in the market, or you're wondering if you're in the market, you want to find out about uh, what options you have with your finances and your uh, your financing of your real estate and you want to talk to someone who thinks like you call me at 951-252-2027 951-252-2027 or go to edhoffman.net and click on the united american mortgage logo and do the cyber thing so before the uh in the first half before we ran out of time in the first half we've been talking about The Twitter files, everything that went on with Twitter and everything that we continue to learn about Twitter and what they did to interfere with the 2020 election. And I'm sure and I'm sure the until Elon Musk got control of it, they tried to to influence the uh, the 2022 election as well. I, for one, still don't think that we had a free and fair election because it just seems that everything that didn't finish on Tuesday night. Went to the went to the Democrats, almost 100% of them, and I don't think I don't really think you know as long as we have mail-in voting, there's a there's opportunity to cheat, and although we have poll watchers watching the people counting the votes, I don't think we had poll watchers at the post office seeing where uh, where entire bags of ballots showed up uh, and where they came from. So I think uh, I think there's a lot of a lot of uh, ballot harvesting, and realize ballot harvesting is is uh, the Democrats because p- apparently the Republicans haven't figured out how to do it. Um, otherwise, we wouldn't have this problem. But the Democrats go into old folks' homes, people that had no intention of voting, go into parts of the country where nobody has intention of voting. And if they had no intention of voting and never went to the polling places and never requested a uh, an absentee ballot, they wouldn't have a ballot. But because we have 100 percent mail in voting in the in the voter, the voter uh, rolls still have people that don't live there anymore or that that uh, registered multiple times under various variations of their name. I could register as as Edwin Hoffman, uh, Ed Hoffman, uh, Edwin B Hoffman, Edwin Bruce Hoffman. I could I could if I was a cheater. I could do that and, and register multiple times with multiple names and they would send me multiple ballots and I'd vote them. And uh, and when they look at the voter rolls, it would show all those legitimate, uh, legitimate registrations and they would let them through. Democrats don't have any any ethics. Democrats, Democrats do this kind of stuff because it's legal. And until we fix the system, we're going to have a problem. So let's talk about where uh, all the up and all the all the things are up in arm with uh, with uh, Donald Trump. So in response to the Twitter files and the revelations that came with it, Donald Trump posted this controversial take on his Truth Social platform, and he says, "So with the revelation of massive and widespread fraud and deception in working closely with the big tech companies, the DNC and the Democrat Party." Do you throw out the presidential election results of 2020? Do you throw them out and declare the rightful winner? Or do you have a new election? A massive fraud of this type and magnitude allows for the termination of all rules, regulations, and articles. Even those found in the Constitution, our great founders did not want and would not condone. False and fraudulent elections. So, he didn't say throw out out the, the Constitution. He didn't say... He didn't say alter the Constitution. He said, he he said that the founders would not want this and condone it. And I can guarantee you, when Benjamin Franklin and Thomas Jefferson and all the other uh, founding fathers that uh, signed the Constitution, they had no idea what what uh, social media would be. They had no idea about mail-in voting. Everybody voted in person on election day. They would have no ideas about the the links. That the, that the Democrat Party would go to, to, to uh, fraudulently steal an election. So this has prompted a bunch of Republicans, not to mention all the Democrats, uh, to go on record as saying what an outrage this is. So on Monday, Trump posted this follow-up. The fake news is actually trying to convince the American people that I said I wanted to terminate the Constitution. This is simply more disinformation and lies, like the Russia, 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 and all the other hoaxes and scams. What I said was, when there's massive and widespread fraud and deception, as has been irrefutably proven in 2020 presidential election, steps must be immediately taken to right the wrong. Only fools would disagree with that and accept the stolen election. MAGA. With an with a exclamation point. I agree. I'm not a fool, and I agree that we should take some massive action to fix this. And the fact that, hey, we know it was stolen, and we still put Biden in there, and there's nothing we can do about it, and of course the audits all happened after Biden was inaugurated, and we still put Biden in, and we allow him to destroy our country, is just unthinkable to me. And clearly, Trump is saying what I'm thinking. Let's hear a clip from the movie With Honors. The genius of the Constitution is that it makes no permanent rule other than its faith in the wisdom of ordinary people to govern themselves. Our founding parents were pompous, middle aged white farmers, but they were also great men because they knew one thing that all great men should know that they didn't know everything. They knew they were going to make mistakes, but they made sure to leave a way to correct them. They didn't think of themselves as leaders, they wanted a government of citizens, not royalty. A government of listeners, not lecturers. A government that could change, not stand still. The president isn't an elected king, no matter how many bombs he can drop, because the crude constitution doesn't trust him. He's a servant of the people. I cut it off before he said he's just a bum. But if you know the scene, that's what he says. And uh, Joe Pesci in that movie is playing a bum, but a well-educated bum. And, uh, and, he's lect- and he's responding to uh, sitting in on a, on, a, on a political lecture from one of the um, political professors at Harvard University. So, you know, the, the Constitution was made that we could make amendments to it as needed. They knew that they didn't know everything, and they left it open so we could change it. And Trump is not saying that we should throw out the Constitution As people are making it sound, I know that uh, I've I've seen uh, I've seen people on Facebook saying Trump wants to wants to ban the Constitution and the Constitution is more important than Donald J. Trump. Well, that's not what he said. The Constitution allows for for us to be a government governed by a by a, a leadership that's of the people, by the people and for the people not by people who are going to are going to dictate to us what we're allowed to hear and what we're not allowed to hear. What we're allowed to say and what we're not not allowed to say. Think about that folks. You should be able to hear all the truth. You should and like I say, listen to my show, but don't but don't take it uh, take it at face value. Watch Fox. Watch Newsmax. Watch CNN. Watch PMS NBC. Listen to all sides. Read the newspaper and listen and then then listen to people that talk and see what you live in your life and you use your logically thinking brain to process all this stuff process all this stuff and say what do i really think is the truth you know when we were kids our parents all told us hey hey believe nothing what you hear and believe only half of what you see it's our job to use our 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 brains to process all this stuff and say hmm do i believe this stuff whether the president says it or the or the press secretary or the newspaper or anybody else. Do I believe this stuff? Or has this guy got an agenda? We'll talk about that more. Let's talk about let's talk about the FTX situation. It's a big story when corrupt businessmen is found is found having ties to the Republicans, but just a blip on the radar when they're found to have deep ties to the Democrats. Okay, that's the case of Sam Bankman fried the founder of the now bankrupt crypto exchange company FTX that defrauded its investors of billions of dollars. Who were who were his investors? Many of them were average Americans hoping to get in on the crypto game. So let me put this in context. FTX is not crypto. It's not a it's not a coin uh, or crypto coin. It's not Bitcoin. It's not XRP. It's not any of these other coins of thousands of them that are out there. Uh, digital currency. This is an exchange. So when you're buying stocks, you go through a stock brokerage, a brokerage house like JP Morgan or Smith Barney or Charles Schwab. And these are brokerage houses that can trade stocks. So you go on your on your Wells Fargo app or your Charles Schwab app or your uh, or whatever app E-Trade. And you say, hey, I want to buy 100 shares of, uh, of Apple or 50 shares of Tesla, or uh, two shares of Amazon, all about the same price. Two shares of Amazon, 50 shares of Tesla. They're all about this, all about the same price. So, and and they make the trade for you, and you have your account with them. I have one on Wells Fargo, and it's Wells Fargo Trade. It's not in my, it's not part of my bank account. And they tell you that, and they make the trades for me. And you go by who you feel comfortable with as your advisor, or. On some of these apps, you don't have an advisor. You just make your own decisions and you tell them you want to trade. Except for FTX was only only exchanging cryptocurrency. So you're buying bitcoins and XRP and any of those other digital digital investments that nobody can explain uh, sufficient to get my money. And, uh, and you don't know really what you're investing in. But, you know, hey, it's... Uh, It's blockchain technology. Hey, it can't be altered. Hey, it's uh, cryptocurrency. It can't be taxed. All the stuff that everybody says when you try to have them explain to you why it's a good investment. Now there's a class action lawsuit in Florida being filed on behalf of those investors, and the suit doesn't just name Bankman Freed. It also names celebrities who provided endorsements for FTX. So celebrity paid endorsements, people that that say, hey, sure, you're going to pay me a couple million dollars to, uh, to, to say that I invest with FTX and it's a great place? Sure, I'll do it. Those celebrities include Seinfeld and Curb Your Enthusiasm creator Larry David, NFL quarterback Tom Brady and his supermodel ex-wife Giselle Bunchen, ABC Shark Tank Mr. Wonderful Kevin O'Leary, retired NBA legend Shaquille O'Neal, and current player Steph Curry. Quite frankly, none of these surprise me except for Shaquille O'Neal, probably the least educated of them, but probably the one guy that I think has has logic and common sense. And I really admire Shaquille O'Neal um, based on some of the things I've I've heard him say when he's just talking. Um, but all these other people, it doesn't surprise me. Tom Brady. Hey, you know, Tom Brady, I'm a football player. I make lots of money. Sure, I'll, I'll go on to that. Um, you know, it's like I say in my book, people that – that earn their their obscene amounts of money doing something that, that doesn't include uh, working and building up and what people in the real world do. They don't, they, don't, uh, they don't quite value their money or their reputation as much as uh, some of us that built ourselves up. According to the lawsuit, all those named are part of the Ponzi scheme employed by FTX entities to raise funds and drive American consumers to invest pouring billions of dollars into the deceptive FTX platform to keep the whole scheme afloat. So instead of investing their deposits into crypto as promised, Bankman fried has found found to have used their money for other things. $38 million in donations to Democrat campaigns and organizations for the midterms. 27 million went into a political action committee called protect our future, a PAC that's dedicated to boosting candidates who push forward anti pandemic policies you know, like vaccines and like uh, a mass, and this P- and this pack only dispenses its its donations in two places, none of which have anything to do with the pandemic. Democrat candidates and the gun control group, Every Town for Gun Safety Victory Fund. So, when you think about this, they're doing all these commercials because there's big big money in all these things, and you think about. Think about when you watch TV, and if you watch Fox or Newsmax, you see see these companies advertising continuously. My Pillow, you know, Mike Lindell must be making tons of money, and people are buying tons of My Pillows. I, you know, Don and I probably own about 40 of those My Pillows, and uh, they're on all the beds in all of our houses uh, in Montana, Arizona, California, and we gave them to our kids for Christmas because we thought they're awesome, awesome product. Uh, how about the gold commercials? Hey, you know, invest in gold. You know, there's got to be huge commissions for the guys that are brokering out gold, and that's why they're spending all that money on on the uh, on the advertising. So let's get back to Sam Bankman-Fried. So, uh, so he's donating to, to this pack that gives to the Democrat candidates. So it says 30, thirty-eight million to Democrat campaigns and organizations for the midterms, and then he gives twenty-seven million dollars to this Protecting Our Future pack. Which, dem- which donates that money to Democrat candidates and anti-gun control group every town for gun safety victory fund which is basically also the Democrats because you know what I, I just renewed my uh, my CCW permit and uh, we talked about I was talking to one of the guys who's just getting his permit for the first time I said oh I've I've had guns for years and I'm renewing mine for the third time and you know but I haven't shot that much recently since the since uh covid. And uh, none of my guns have killed anybody while they weren't being shot by me. And, of course, I haven't killed anybody either because I'm a good guy with a gun instead of a bad guy from a gun. Okay, I I digress. Let's get back to Sam Bankman-Fried. He invented his own foundation to make these donations called FTX Foundation. Under that umbrella, he had the FTX Future Fund. These foundations represent 99% of the total money raised for Protect Our Future PAC. So, essentially... Sam Bankman-Fried is the pact that gets Democrats elected. So he spent all that money. He's got a $40 million mansion in the Bahamas. He's spending their money instead of investing in the cryptocurrency they wanted to invest in. Bankman-Fried's parents and brother are also heavily tied to Democrats. Google that because it would take up the rest of the show to list all the financial ties to the Democrat Party. Bankman Fried also invented a bunch of grants to give to left-leaning media organizations, presum- presumably so they would make sure he didn't get exposed by the media. He had already promised a $5 million grant to ProPublica and gave undisclosed amounts to the foundations of media companies like Vo- Vox and The Intercept. Bankman Fried is now hiding out in the Bahamas, did a re- and he did a remote interview with CNBC's Andrew Sorkin at the New York Times Deal Book Summit. Deal book being the financial section of the New York Times. He said he's not worried about a federal investigation or jail time. How concerned are you about criminal liability at this point? So I don't think that, I mean, obviously, I don't, I don't personally think that I have, uh, you know, but I, I think the real answer is that's not, it sounds weird to say, but, but it, I think the real answer is that's not what I'm focusing on. I mean, look, I, I've had a bad month. Um, this is not that important for me, but that's not what matters here. No, that's not what matters there. He's had a he's had a bad month, and I'm not really focused on it. You know, I wonder why he isn't worried about anyone in the government going after him. Maybe it's because he's the one who got all these people elected. Of course, his really his really bad month is the fact that the Republicans took the House of Representatives. So now now. The people that he's that he got elected aren't controlling the House of Representatives, but still the Senate. It's the, still the Senate. This guy is a total dweeb. You know, he's he's a dork. He's a young kid with a with a with a curly haired fro, and he dresses like a slob, kind of like uh, the new senator from Pennsylvania. And he's a fat guy with uh, with uh, man boobs. And he's just a dweeb. I don't understand what people that have billions of dollars that would hand their money over to this guy. Maybe because they're just like him. This thing also draws a familiar comparison to 2008-2009 when liberals tried to position themselves as the good guys as if they didn't play a key role in collapsing the American financial system. As outlined in chapter 18 of my book, Experience Matters, Here's Mine, get it on edhoffman.net or uh, the audio version on, uh, on uh, Audible or Apple Books. That's the take from Vivek Ramaswamy, a finance writer who spoke to Tucker Carlson about the Sam Bankman-Fried interview. The thing that was actually interesting was looking at the people in the audience, nervously laughing, distancing themselves from him. And to me, when I was thinking about what happened in 2008, Tucker, I think the interesting part of this is the people in that audience, the other financial elites who now are trying to distance themselves from the guy who wore a t-shirt and shorts, actually are not all that different from him in kind. They may be different in degree, but not in kind. And I think well, that's, that's the thing that people actually struggle with with this SBF story if they're in elite finance. When they look themselves in the mirror and look at the kinds of things that happened in 2008, you know what? It's an uncomfortable parallel and an uncomfortable similarity. And in a certain sense, he's just one of them, and they're just one of him. That was one of my takeaways from actually watching today. Well, that's, 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 the, that's the deepest truth of this whole thing. That's exactly right. So clearly the people that invested in this FTX, that put their money, they didn't want to invest in FTX. They gave their money to FTX to invest in cryptocurrency. And clearly, clearly they're of the same. of the. You know, I, I just think about people that get in that. And there's lots of people who think they're financially savvy. And because everybody I know that is financially savvy, they're not going near it. You know, I thought about buying uh, one Bitcoin just to say, Hey, I didn't miss it if it went up. And I can tell you in 2019, just before uh, COVID hit, Don and I went on vacation. We went to Nashville and we had an Uber driver from Nashville airport to our hotel in Nashville, right off Broadway. Um, and he was a crypto guy and he, he talked to us all the way about cryptocurrency. And he says, you know, Hey, you know what? The cryptocurrency right now is about ten thousand. At one time, it was five thousand. He said, "Hey, in ten years, it'll be worth a million dollars, and this is going to be the 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 greatest investment ever." And I said, "So, why does it go up? Because, as I understand, as people explain it to me, you're investing in in a currency. So when you when you trade your dollars for euros, you get there's a there's an exchange rate." And you know, hey, the dollar's the dollar is really good right now against foreign foreign uh, currency. And it was really bad against foreign currency. And you make money by by investing in stuff that's uh not that's not valued as high as our currency, you get more and then when it comes up, okay, but it doesn't move like cryptocurrency does. And and the guy says, Well, it's cryptocurrency, it's the you know, it's it's blockchain technology. And I said, You know what? if I was in investing in a company that created this this technology and I was buying into the company that created it and they're making more money because more people are using it I would understand the value of my stock went up but you're not doing that you're just exchanging into this other into this other uh, uh, currency that someday may be the standard currency I understand someday it may be but it But no one's convinced me why this thing goes up. And of course, since then, Bitcoin has gone from 10,000 up to 61,000 and then back down. And I think it's about 19,000 or 15,000 right now. So people have lost tons of money because, you know, smart investors get in when it's when it's low and uh, dumb investors get in after everybody when they see everybody. Hey, look how much everybody's made. I got to get in before it gets any higher. And they jump in at that point, and then all the smart investors sell, so they can uh, cap- they can capitalize on the on the profit. Hey, so anyway, uh, that's my financial expose and my financial lesson for the day. Anyway, I've got a cruise ship waiting for me. So uh, thanks for listening to the Main Event. My name's Ed Hoffman, and Kenny White will be with you next week. Hi, this is Ed Hoffman with United American Mortgage, new company, same Ed Hoffman. If you've heard my show, The Main Event, then you know that I think like you do, and that's what you want when you're looking for someone to advise you on real estate financing. Whether you're thinking of financing a piece of property you'd like to own, or refinancing a piece of property you already own, or if you or your spouse are over 62 and you'd like to find out more about that reverse mortgage thing that everyone is talking about, and whether that property is in California or another state where you'd like to go to escape California, I can help you find the solution that's right for you and in step with your short-term and long-term plans. Call me at 951-252-2027. That's 951-252-2027. One last time, day or night, area code 951-252-2027. Or go to edhoffman.net and click on the United American Mortgage logo. Ed Hoffman and MLS ID number 9921. United American Mortgage Corporation and MLS ID number 1942. United American Mortgage Corporation is an equal housing lender and licensed by the California Department of Real Estate.